Welcome back to the KPL podcast. I am your host, Jagisha Patel, and joining me, Ryan Drinker. We have a special episode in store for you listeners today. Indeed, because this is our one author, one Kirkwood event special with number one New York Times bestseller, Britt Bennett. It will be an episode filled with highlights from our April 14th event. For those of you unfamiliar with the library's one author event, every year since 2012, the one author committee selects an annual community read, setting up programming around it and culminating in a visit from the author. It's fantastic fun. If you are unable to attend the delightful conversation, then this is the episode for you. Enjoy. Welcome to the One Author, One Kirkwood 2021 event. Thank you everyone who has joined us this evening. Before we begin, I'd like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor. Funding for the One Author series of programs is provided by the Edward Chase Garvey Memorial Foundation. Thank you. It is my honor to welcome this evening's guest. Britt Bennett is the author of the dazzling coming of age novel, The Mothers, and the National Book Award nominated novel, the Vanishing Half. Already a much buzzed about social commentator, well known for her powerful personal essays, Bennett is one of today's most exciting new voices in literary fiction. Britt, welcome to the One Author, One Kirkwood 2021 event. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming, it's a delight. <laughs> We're so excited to talk to you. And uh, so let's begin with The Vanishing Half. Would you please speak to uh, to the story and to your inspirations for it? Sure. Yeah, the um, Vanishing Half really uh, came from a conversation that I was having with my mother, uh, who's originally from Louisiana, and told me about a town that she remembered hearing about as a child, um, a town where people were very obsessed with skin color. And uh, it was something that she said to me very offhandedly on the phone one day, and I wrote it and the notes app of my phone because it immediately struck me as very strange and disturbing and also fascinating and potentially the setting for a novel. Um, and this was when I was still working on my first novel, The Mother, so I couldn't jump into the book right away. But I wrote it down on my phone and kept thinking about it over the years and then finally got a chance to actually start the story up. Listeners, that was a snippet about Britt Bennett's book, Vanishing Half. Have you had a chance to read it yet? If not, then get a copy here at the Kirkwood Public Library. In the next highlight, Britt tells us more about the two main characters of her book, twin sisters, Desiree and Stella. Uh, one of the things that I find really interesting was that the, the story centered around the twins and they both witnessed the death of their father, but they respond in such different ways. So could you talk more about their shared trauma and why the twins responded so differently? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm always really fascinated by that, you know, the idea that two people can see the same event, but react to it in two very different ways. And I think that partly what struck me about this particular situation was that both twins reacted in a way that made its own logical sense. Um, you know, I think Desiree sees her father lynched and thinks to herself, well, my father was light and he, this still happened to him. So who really cares about how light you are? Like that kind of dismantles that whole ideology for her because she sees that lightness didn't protect her father from this racist violence. And you see that then she, you know, goes on to marry a dark skinned man and, and kind of uh, abandons the values of that town. Stella sees her father lynched and her conclusion is, you know, well, 
my father was really light and it didn't protect him. So the only protection really is whiteness. Um, so her conclusion that she draws from witnessing this event is that her father, it wasn't far enough. You needed to go farther um, into whiteness in order to truly be safe. So that to me was really fascinating to think about because I think both of those conclusions make total sense. Um, they both are drawing um, conclusions that follow their own logic, but also that take them in very different directions. Ryan and I both love the character of Reese. Listen as Britt Bennett talks about her inspiration for this character. So another character that we found fascinating is Reese. So could you talk to us a little bit more about Reese? Yeah, um, you know, Reese is a character who came into the book, uh, I guess maybe halfway through. I don't really know at what point um, I started to think about him for this book. He was a character who I had been working on for a completely different project. He was in a short story and the story was really terrible. I, you know, a lot of my thinking for Reese was I wanted Jude to have a big love story. I wanted her to escape the terror and trauma of the town where she is forced to grow up. And I wanted her to go out in the world and fall in love and make friends and, and have this sort of moment of this, these moments of joy and liberation and freedom. And uh, when I started to think about who she might fall in love with, uh, I just kept thinking about this character, Reese, who I had really loved from the short story. And I loved the idea of him being kind of this romantic hero in the book who is, you know, someone who begins as uh, her friend and it's sort of this halting, awkward, somewhat awkward friendship of two people who clearly like each other, but both are afraid that the other person doesn't like them back. And then from there, I wanted to think about, yeah, what does this relationship look like between these two people who both have experienced a lot of pain and shame as in their childhoods and have a hard time believing that they are actually lovable. Like, what does it mean to allow someone to love you if you believe yourself to be unlovable? How do you even do that? How is that possible? Patrons were able to submit questions. So listen as Britt answers a question about splitting in her book. Patron Nicole wanted to know, uh, there are many examples of splitting in this novel. Is there an example of splitting that you think most readers might not have picked up on? That's a good question. I mean, I think that the example that I just, I don't know that, I don't think this is one that readers wouldn't pick up on, but one that I really just kind of enjoyed was the scene where Jude is talking with her friend Barry and he's putting on makeup um, and he kind of turns to her and half of his face is made up and the other half is not. Um, and that was just an image that I just kind of loved and um, loved the idea. I mean, just the idea of a scene like that, the fact that, you know, the sort of whatever the gendered expectations of that moment are inverted uh, because he is the one putting on makeup and she's talking to him. Um, any moment where somebody was talking in front of a mirror, I feel like there were a lot of scenes like that. There are many scenes where Stella's like in front of her vanity. Um, and I think Kennedy also, when she's doing the play, she's in front of the mirror. So there are a lot of moments where people are facing their reflections, um, which to me is a kind of splitting, I suppose, between like you and the version of yourself that you see in a way. Um, but I think that moment with Barry where he is just kind of, you know, needling her about uh, her crush on Reese that she's kind of unable to really face. Um, and he's putting on makeup as he's talking to her and turns with half of his face made up. Um, I think that was a moment that I just particularly enjoyed of somebody being split um, in a way that's maybe a little unexpected. 
In 2020, our one author was Lisa C., author of The Island of Sea Women. And if you were unable to attend that event, well, good news. When the event was postponed due to COVID, Lisa was kind enough to visit us on the podcast. The official one author event in October would end up mirroring, in most aspects, the wonderful conversation that took place months earlier on the podcast. The Lisa C. episode is number 33 in our archives, and it aired on July 17th of 2020. Happy listening. In this next snippet, we discuss Britt's first book, The Mothers. If you haven't had a chance to read it, we have it here at the Kirkwood Public Library. So switching gears, um, let's talk about The Mothers. And could you just talk to us about the book and tell us a little bit about... uh, Luke, Aubrey, and Nadia. Yeah, I mean, I actually have not talked to anyone about this book in a while. So this feels, uh, it feels fun to kind of go back and think about the process of writing that book. Uh, But yeah, the mothers, you know, it's a story about this teenage girl who uh, gets pregnant by her pastor's son and and decides to terminate the pregnancy. And the main character is Nadia, who is smart, but rebellious teenage girl who is uh, deep in mourning over her mother's suicide, her mother's recent suicide, when she meets Luke, who's the pastor's son, um, and she falls for him. And later that summer, she meets Aubrey, who is sort of a, what she considers to be a you know, very goody-goody church girl. They become best friends. And after Nadia goes off to college, uh, Luke and Aubrey um, get close. So it's a book about a love triangle um, and also very complicated friendship uh, and I suppose complicated mother-daughter relationships. In this next highlight, we have another patron question for Britt about her book, The Mothers. So we have a uh, question from our patron, uh, Stephen, who wanted to know the the mothers reminded uh, him of the choir in ancient Greek plays that comments upon the action. Was that intentional? Was that your inspiration for that? Um, it wasn't my inspiration for it. And honestly, it wasn't anything that I, I think I, I, I don't know that I even really became aware of that that was what I was doing until after I had already started doing it. You know, originally it was written in just this third person narrator who was just kind of an omniscient third person narrator. And, but it was a very like voicey narrator. It was like, there was so much personality behind that narrator. And I originally just thought, okay, this is just a third person narrator. Um, And then I started to think, well, what if I located that voice somewhere and it belonged to characters who are part of the story, Um, instead of feeling like it's kind of just this narrative voice that's just like hovering over everybody. Like, what if these are people who are actually walking among these characters? Um, And that's when the kind of mothers, the the idea of this being located in the voices of the church mothers kind of hit. So it was a very late kind of addition (laughs) to the book. And I remember it was it was in grad school at the time. I was workshopping the book, and it was a very polarizing decision in my workshop. Like half of the workshop really liked it, the other half hated it. And it was one of these things that like you, you either really liked or you just didn't like it all. Uh, but you know, for whatever reason, I was just like, I'm having fun doing this. I'm enjoying being able to write in the voices of these like judgy older ladies. And my feeling generally with writing is just like, follow what is fun to you, you know, even if there are people who hate it. In 2018, the One Author, One Kirkwood event featured Stephanie Powell Watts and her book, No One Is Coming to Save Us. For those of us feeling nostalgic, 
This event is still available to be watched and can be found on the library's YouTube page. Please see the show notes for links. Later, we discuss the differences and similarities in Bennett's two novels. So, The Vanishing Half and The Mothers have numerous themes running through them. Uh, racial identity and familiar relationships, sadly both at their hearts. So what would you say is the biggest difference between the two titles? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest difference to me feels feels probably more structural and formal than thematic. Because I do think, I think maybe it was Ann Patchett who said, like, every writer is just writing the same book over and over again. And I think, like, the, the idea that, like, every writer has their obsessions and... Every time I sit down and think I'm going to do something really different next time, I still find myself kind of swirling around the same ideas that I'm like, yeah, I'm really interested in these, in these fraught relationships between and among women. I'm really interested in the really complicated relationships between mothers and daughters. Like all of these things keep popping up in everything that I'm doing. Um, so I think that those thematics always probably just echo across your work, whatever thing that you're kind of obsessed with. Um, but I think really to me, the biggest difference is just the form and the structure because the mothers is a fairly chronological coming of age story. You know, it takes place like over about 10 years of time. You see these characters grow up. It has like that very straightforwardness and kind of tightness to its structure. Um, and the vanishing half is just something else altogether. It's this, you know, kind of sprawling story. It takes place over decades. It goes in and out of chronological time. It has all of these different characters. You go down these kind of side alleys with people and, and there is just a more sprawlingness to it. So to me, I think that's the biggest difference is just the type of book it is and, and the form that the book takes. We finish off with a question about her writing process for the two different settings for her books. So speaking of differences, Mothers is set in Southern California, while The Vanishing Half is set in Louisiana. Did you have to go about approaching how you brought these two locations to life differently? Did you do any research for? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, for The Mothers, like, I don't think I really did research because I just wrote about my hometown and really wrote about my hometown as I remembered it. I remember going back to do an event and some of my friends being like, well, you know, like Oceanside has been gentrified. And, you know, my friends are telling me like, oh yeah, they have like rock climbing walls now. They have microbreweries. And we were just like, I was like laughing, like really in Oceanside? And one of my friends was like, I'm just so glad like your book, your book captured like what Oceanside once was. I didn't do a lot of research on that. I was writing about my hometown, uh, but for the vanishing half, I, you know, did do research. Some of it was talking to my mother, who, like I said, is from Louisiana and, and writing towards some of her memories, some anecdotes she would tell me about growing up. Um, and then some of it was other actual research, reading books about the history of race in Louisiana, reading books about these or reading articles about these Creole communities like Mallard that I was writing into, you know, and also just from visits that I had down there, which, um, but drawing on those visits and conversations with family. So I think that it was a lot more challenging, again, writing about a place where I did not grow up and also a time in which I was not alive. So having to really write about the Louisiana of my mother's childhood more than any place that I was writing about like now. So that I think required a degree of research, but I also was really lucky to be able to talk to my mom and hear these really great stories from her and some of which you know made it into the book. Well, that's our show for this week. We'd like to take a moment to thank the Edward Chase Garvey Memorial Foundation for providing funding for the one author series of programming. If you're anything like me, it's going to feel like an eternity until our next one author 
event in 2022. Well, to tide you over, don't forget, each week, Jagish and I speak to a range of best-selling and debut authors. The KPL Podcast has episode after episode, each packed with authors that could easily headline their own one-author event. For example, please join us back here next week for a conversation with Hugo Award-winning author Becky Chambers. Now, we'll leave on a poem. The Dead by Billy Collins. The dead are always looking down on us, they say. While we are putting on our shoes or making a sandwich, they are looking down through the glass-bottomed boats of heaven as they row themselves slowly through eternity. They watch the tops of our heads moving below on earth, and when we lie down in a field or on a couch, drugged perhaps by the hum of a warm afternoon, they think we are looking back at them which makes them lift their oars and fall silent and wait, like parents, for us to close our eyes. 